Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 270 on Tuesday, the 13th of August, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in this week's show, we'll be talking about how change is bad for many. We'll also be asking how hot on speeding French police are. And we chat about people going off the deep end when safety suggestions are made. But first, some new news and no follow-up. Woohoo! Whee! <laughs> And the first bit of news, well, it's kind of almost maybe possibly a bit of follow-up-ish things. We've reported a while ago that the German Motor Vehicle Authority, the Kraftfahrt Bundesamt, I think. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's been Bundesamt, a long time. Yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that one. Yeah, no, it was the Kraftfahrt bit that I was laughing at. Yeah, so I thought you might. <laughs> We got off to a good start. They were investigating Mercedes-Benz over possibility of defeat devices fitted to the E and C-class diesel models. Um, it has been alleged that this has been confirmed, and it could be that they are facing a fine of up to €1 billion Euros for this because it's they're talking in the region of €5,000 per vehicle. That's being considered which would cover 280-odd thousand vehicles that they're going to be ordered to recall. Mm -hmm. This is on top of the 60,000 GLKs they've had to recall recently, and that takes it to a a grand total of over 760,000. That's a lot. They seem to have got off this a little bit better than Volkswagen have. Everybody's got off with this better than Volkswagen has, though, really, haven't they? Yeah, that, that is true. I mean, even if they are hit with the ninety, uh, with the one billion, that's still they seem. I think reputationally, will still have got off a little bit better because maybe not so many people will be aware of it. How how bad is it that a billion dollars is seen as getting off lately? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. That's pretty awful. Really, is pretty awful. But we also have to remember that uh, Daimler is still being investigated in the US as well, which could be. A huge fine, particularly if more geopolitical trade issues come into come into factor. Well, that's it. I mean, you've you've just beaten me to what I was going to say there. Um, that uh, that I I can't imagine that the president would be wishing them to hold back on fines on 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 German country on uh, German companies. Yeah, given the slight easies. No, those evil German cars that only get in only get imported into America, never built there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Never get exported. No, no. And and are definitely not subject to all the other tariffs he's just opposed on China and stuff. You know, that that wouldn't happen. That would just be ridiculous. No, absolutely. I mean I yeah. mean thank God hmm. that it wouldn't be impacting on actual American people's jobs either. <laughs> no. No, no, well, it's, it's making it all great again, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Shall we move on from 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 this? <laughs> yes. Let's talk about our own lunatics. <laughs> Well, we've got the best government because uh, because they have doubled funding for electric car street charging. Uh, they've allocated two point five million pounds for an additional thousand uh, electric charge points uh, in residential areas, and that is all part of the one point five billion dollar road to zero. Fund. The idea is to make life much easier for people who only have street parking and without driveways, because because it's. A significant hurdle, really, for those people. Uh, certainly mental, if, if if not actual, you know, to, to easy use of a car, to not have street-side 
street side parking, not be able to charge their cars overnight mm. um, from where they are. So there's charge points can either be individual, they can be built into lampposts or any of these kind of things. Uh, there is a challenge with this in that in some places they're declaring that they're not going to fit them because they're trying to reduce the amount of street furniture. Uh, and some places are saying they're going to add this and re- remove the amount of street furniture. And there is another uh, group who are going to be moving all the lampposts back to the back corner of the pavement rather than to the street side edge of the pavement uh, in an effort to remove street furniture as well. So this is going to be a little bit trickier to implement maybe than people think straight up. But I think it's a good idea. I think it's the right thing to do. No, because uh, once that, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea because it's going to match what people get now when they park up their ice car because they, they can just mm-hmm. plug it straight into a petrol pump outside their house, even if they're in a terrace now. So, I mean, I don't, I don't see it making yeah. a problem. Sorry, I am being very pithy, but that's when I hear the argument. I can't charge at my own house. Uh, and yes, I know the infrastructure is not perfect I, yet. I know. The infrastructure is not perfect, absolutely. But there are... Yeah, but one. when it comes to people's first EV, and when they're still not really sure, and when they've not had a chance to sort of test and, and try properly, then, then it is a fear. It's definitely a fear. And having home charging makes life so much easier. So, so much easier. Absolutely. And that is one of, that is an actual benefit of an EV over a internal combustion engine vehicle is that you can fill it up whilst at home if you have the ability to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. Like I say, I was being a bit pithy, yeah. but what I can't work out and I've been trying to find out is, is this 2.5 million pounds that they are allocating been shuffled from somewhere else within the, road to zero fund or whether it is brand new funding the, the way i read it then that's the case it is it is uh, i don't know if it, it's an allocation of previously unallocated funding between inside the one and a half billion or or if something has been dropped in order for this to happen yeah i get the feeling that it is it's been moved on a spreadsheet to fill a new column i strongly suspect that that is the case yes yeah but it's good news it's good news whatever Right, moving on. Now, Lotus revealed their, Mm -hmm. as part of their uh, ongoing reinvention or revamp of the brand, revealed their new logo. And uh, a lot of the internet lost its shizzle over it, which is typical (laughs) internet-y. Because they've made a new... I think it's flat design. Is is that the correct terminology for it? Flat design. Yes, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit Windows eight, perhaps. Yeah. In that it get, does without the gradients uh, that are on the current one, and anything that gives the that gives the impression of being multi dimensional has all gone. So it is a completely flat green and mustard, I guess. Yeah, and they've straightened the lotus uh, word, whereas before it followed the curve at the bottom mm-hmm. of the curvy triangle, whatever the technical term for that is, uh, of the green. Um, that that used to follow that, but they've just straightened that out, which I think is going to make it just easier all around <laughs> for everybody, particularly people who print things. <laughs> well, I, I questioned it uh, and said, "Well, that, that's a bit weird, isn't it? What I, I don't quite understand. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I don't, don't understand why the the bothered." And it was pointed out to me that it would look in this format. It looks much much better if it's illuminated from behind. So if it appears on a screen, for example, okay. uh, if it is a badge that might be illuminated on an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. was something that Nia Khan pointed out to me was if it was on the back, 
for example, and it was illuminated, it would look really, really cool. Yeah. So it works in many of that those kind of situations where the previous one was too fussy. Well, I know that the marketing chief, Simon Clare, said that over this whole revamp, and this is in the Autocar article, which is in the show notes as ever, that they looked back at the original Lotus Roundel and thought about Colin Chapman's philosophy to mm-hmm. simplify and add lightness. I can sort of see, I, I see the simplify, but the, okay, the adding lightness, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. You know? Yes, I was about to say what happened to the adding lightness, <laughs> uh, but it is. So that's why it's moved back to a sans serif font and some of these things. And it's still got Colin Chapman's initials and things in there. It's, I actually think it's more successful than some of the 1980s branding yeah. uh, that went on. Yeah, so uh, I don't have a problem with it at all. Oh, crikey, everyone. People change yeah. the logos all the time. Just relax, okay? It's not the end of the world. Yeah. But th- there are yeah. many other things we should be worrying about than that. And talking of which, Alan, you found a, should we say, in inverted commas, interesting Article stroke report. Well, I found, I found a report from one of the one of these think tanks, uh, and this one is somewhere to the left of Karl Marx. I think. I think you're being kind. <laughs> it's called Commonwealth. Okay, that's the name of the think tank, uh, and they've written they've they've written a big report. It's called a roadmap to GND, uh, which is a which is a green new deal. Yeah. That's, that's what GND is. And in it, they're talking about how we can all become, um, you know, how we can, can make significant reductions in car, in CO2 output and pollution and, and everything like that. And it's, it's quite interesting reading, but the part that has caught, the part that's relevant to us and the part that has caught people with, caught people's imagination and has them bouncing up and down across the internet once again is section 4.2 and it's titled Away with All Cars. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be clear, this is about London though. This is trying to make London zero Well, carbon. that's what I'm about to say. Yeah. It's super clickbaity. And it's intended to get everybody's backs up and to get it discussed and to get them discussed. And it's obviously working because we're discussing it. But it's it's really quite interesting because I went into it with a sort of, oh, God, it's going to be one of these things. And and I got to the end of, um, you know, halfway through the first paragraph. What is it? The privatization of public transport in the UK has had wide, widespread negative impacts on human welfare and social justice, but these are dwarfed by what may prove to have been the most profoundly damaging privatization project in all time, the relentless subjugation of the public realm to the exigencies of the private motor car. And I thought, oh, God, why am I bothering? But then I read a little bit further, and, and you know, it's not as bad poo as you might think it's going to be. It's pointed out relatively early on that the scope of this is just central London. Not even London, but central London. And it talks about why that might be the case. That, that in actual fact, the percentage of vehicle of private vehicle miles in central London is decreasing year on year on year, quite considerably. And it talks about uh, how almost half of low-income households in London don't have access to cars, and that there are many other ways of dealing with people at the higher income uh, level uh, without it being being car dominated and they talk about you know the inf- the the issues with uh, the issues with uh, exhaust emissions from all types of uh, internal combustion engine uh, in city centers and again there's decent points there they also say that you know the average speed is 7 miles an hour 
and the London's drivers waste 227 hours a year stuck in traffic, and the air ca- quality inside a car stuck in traffic is 140% worse than it is outside, which I saw someone else mention, not with the number, but someone else completely separate from this uh, mentioned that during the week and they're saying that over 50 square kilometers of of london london streets and public areas not including multi-story car parks or anything like that is given over to parking and the eight minutes of these is spent giving over to looking for parking spaces and i thought well, that's uh, i get it uh, but it talks through how you would get around it and uh a whole infrastructure around how you would deal with it. It, it. This should really be our lunchtime read, to be honest. And I don't agree with all of it, but I think it's it's good that they've gone through and they've looked at the different uh, demographics, they've looked at the different groups, as well as explaining why they think that it might actually be something that could possibly be done by 2030. That they're saying, well, there's still car shares, there's still going to be taxis, there's still going to be these, you know, we're not suggesting that, that everyone walks comrade or everyone takes the tram comrade. You know, they're saying there are different, there are still going to be taxis, still going to be uh, ride sharing. Yeah, you say that, but they are incredibly strong proponents of transport for London and saying they should have more control over everything. I mean, you're, there's a good point there, which is essentially, uh, we shall join the collective brother mm. uh, and the collective is very much uh, transport for london transport for london is described uh, more than once as uh the most publicly owned and heavily planned transport economy in the uk is also by far the most successful is in huge letters on one of the pages it's it's described as a cooperative more than once uh, <laughs> on the way through this so as i say the language is a bit much. Well, that's it. That's turning it into some form of cooperative. As I say, join the cooperative, brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this is this is transport for London. That if you access their Wi-Fi, uh, they will they will track you with cookies, and they have yet to reveal who they pass that information on to. Despite having is that many, TFL? Me- yes, this is TFL having many requests, freedom of information to ascertain who do they pass this information on to and why do they why mm. do they take it in the first place but you know let's keep going brother i i have big problems with tfl in case that wasn't clear <laughs> I, are we done with that i like i like the concept of what they are trying to suggest as you do the concept oh i i do i i like the concept i'm not saying that the implementation is perfect or that i agree with it but no, the no, concept no, I know is not, very no. interesting and for Four or four or five pages of reading, I think. I think it's well worth people reading. I really do think it's well worth people reading because it's not too bat poo, as I say. It's once you get into it. Yes, yes, and and I like the way, as you said, that they 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 broke down the different users and the different modes of transport and all this sort of stuff and the problems that are being faced and they are real problems. That's not mm-hmm. that is not a oh, yeah. political issue. That is. You know, no, that isn't a politically driven. There, you know, there is air quality issues. There is, there are too many vehicles on the road. There are things like that. That that isn't uh, that isn't being. You know, this these facts are not being driven by politics. The bit that you're commenting on is, for example, number five e-bike. You could cruise to your destination at an even 15 miles an hour without breaking a sweat on a London e-bike designed, built, and maintained by a workers' cooperative here in the capital. Yeah. I'm I'm so sorry, but I I don't really know that 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 bit works. No, that's but yes, that's an garbage. e-bike possibly. Yeah. As long as they're one of these docking ones and not a dockless rubbish. These are the same. 
that we have the same problem we have with so much to do with congestion. Nobody is saying, how do we reduce the need to travel? Everyone is presuming, oh, we mm. must all need to travel the same amount instead of coming up with ideas of traveling just in a local area rather than going longer distance. All these other things. There's none of that in there. And I would, oh, yeah. I would have a lot more respect for this if they if they bothered to consider that they commented on that uh, there is in the intro it does actually cover that i can't find it right now because i didn't get a chance to reread before we started but it does comment that the the that there is a distinctive scope here and that's that they they are only talking about a particular scope so it's not they're ignoring it it's just outside the scope that they have given themselves but you you can't Brother. Uh, dear comrade, I don't believe that you can produce such a report talking about how to reduce congestion if you do not talk about how to reduce the need to travel. Um, that may be, I haven't, I've only read the one section of it. Again, I'm not defending it. No, no, I know. Uh, I've only read the one section. Uh, so, so that may, oh, it's not really covered there. Because why we need publicly owned energy for a Green New Deal. And what's the first bit? Uh, infrastructure. Yeah, so upgrading our homes for people in the planet. It, so no, it probably doesn't cover it. it. It's it's uh, it's a similar lacking element to all these things that happen. But however, I like how they've broken it down and how they've tried to run through <laughs> it. Like you, I don't agree with much of their conclusion and much of their suggestions. But maybe it gets a conversation. I going. like the idea, but not the final implementation. I think generally, yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's worth a read. Honestly, guys, it's it's uh, it's not very many. It's not very. It's it's maybe a ten minute read. Uh, it's worth it just for a for a view, um, a sort of rounded view of of life, the universe, and everything. Yep. Yeah, I've I've read worse, mate. Oh, We've God, read we much have, worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Moving on. Oh, go on. Let's have some much worse then, shall we? Yeah. It was announced today that uh, well, in a in a rare moment that. The Commons Transport Select Committee actually spoke to some experts about some research that's been out for years and years, actually, and come to a conclusion where Mm -hmm. they suggest perhaps we should not be using or taking mobile phone calls in the car at all, even hands-free, because there are the same risks with distraction and the level of cognitive load talking on the telephone takes. Now, this has been met, again, a bit similar to the Lotus logo, with measured and thoughtful responses. Basically, the ones I've seen have been, this is crazy, nanny state, etc., etc. But this, this is information that's been known for years and years. Long-time listeners of the show will know that I used to work for a company that banned us from receiving or making calls at all, whether hands-free or not, when we were on the road, and this was over 10 years ago, because you know what? We were not a part of the emergency services. We were not a doctor. It would wait for the what maximum of a couple of hours before we pulled over and could see that we'd missed a call. Yeah. We, whatever call you're taking, mm-hmm. invariably, 99.9999, nearly to infinity percent of the time, it can wait. Make it wait. Because it does impair you. It does impair. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I I triggered a phone call. I I dialed a phone call from inside my car, and I think the last time I received one was about three or four weeks ago. That was much more than no. Really, I can't look at it right now. I'll just call you back. We don't need to do it. We don't need it. Mm-hmm. 
Simple as that. So anyway. Uh, I need to pass over to our French correspondent because at this time of year, quite a few people go over to France, mm. drive in a manner that is perhaps contravening some French rules of the road, maybe in a speed-related area. Uh, that's Article 41314 of the French Highway Code, I believe. <laughs> you believe? Okay. I'm told. By this letter. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, by the way. I, that's You are our French correspondent, which is why you've got this article from the Motoring Research, or these two articles. To talk us through about right. where most of our EU traffic prosecutions come from. Well, it seems uh, that there's a story out saying that something like 75% of all EU traffic prosecutions come from France. Now, France is a large country. Many people pass through it. So, you know, there's there can be quite a lot of traffic. Uh, the other thing to point out, of course, is that uh, France lowered the speed limits on most of its roads just over a year ago uh, to a quite draconianly evil level, which is a hard speed, so uh, 80 kilometers an hour. It's a very hard speed for most cars to actually sit at. And as we know, kilometers per hour is not a real speed because it's not in core blimey, God love them, miles per hour. (laughs) It's not in Brexit Imperial Majors. Yes. So generally, it's 10% plus two over here. So, for example, if you're at 46 mile an hour speed limit, you'd expect there's 49, 50, 52 miles an hour to be to be unacceptable. Uh, an acceptable speed? Yeah, an acceptable-ish speed. Uh, French cameras are not quite so, so lenient, so they can be triggered about 5% over the limit. So uh, it, that's 31% in the 30 uh, 42 and a 40, uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, so by the time you're at 45 miles an hour uh, or by the time you're at uh, 50 miles an hour and 46 mile an hour zone, you're definitely going to trigger a, a speed limit. So you can't get away with the same, the same, um, that, that same, same leeway that you think when it's quiet, when there's nobody around. As quite frankly, uh, I learned, uh, to my cost. Uh, over the course of the summer there. There are some other things. Is that here in the UK, you know, our speed cameras are all painted bright colours. Quite frankly, and they're up high, and it's quite easy to spot them from a distance. So really, you shouldn't really be being caught by them anyway. In France, they're not. They're down low. They're all sorts of different shapes. They are not painted in bright colours. And as well as that, they are. you're not allowed to have them pinpointed on sat-navs. So there is a many mile long danger zone where the camera can be at any point uh, within that. And trust me when I tell you that they can be within 20 meters of the end of the two and a half mile worth of danger zone. When you think that you're pretty much out of it, you can't see anything, you'll be fine. And there are many of them, 2000 fixed mm-hmm. cameras uh, across, uh, across, uh, across France. What it doesn't mention though is that they do do a calculated speed that they're going to actually tag you at, which might or might not actually be the speed that you are traveling. So to take a hypothetical example, <clears throat> uh, if someone was traveling at, uh, was checked at 87 kilometers an hour, by the way, a speed that until a smidgen over a year ago was three kilometers an hour below the speed limit. Okay. Uh, in an 80 kilometer an hour zone. So that's again, already less than 10% over the limit. Uh, they then do some kind of calculation of magic 
uh, which then makes out that the speed that they used to tag you at was 82 kilometers an hour. So you were two kilometers an hour over the limit. That's a mile and a bit, according to their numbers. And they will still stiff you for 45 euros if you pay within 46 days, 68 if it's 47 to 76 days, and 180 if you don't pay or appeal within 76 days. And those are the fine levels for if you're less than 20 kilometers an hour uh, over the speed limit, where the speed limit is more than 50 kilometers an hour. Okay. And it can fairly add to the cost of your cost of your holiday. Yep. Beware of French speed cameras. They are they are cropping up more and more, even in places where they maybe haven't been for the last 16 years. Yeah. Essentially, make sure you know the rules of the countries you're about to drive through. Yes. Yes, that too. Most modern sat-navs pop up what the speed limits are, by the way. Yep. As long as they've been updated for France, because, of course, they changed all the speed limits, which really messes everything up. Mine hasn't been, actually. But anyone who's tried to update the sat-nav system in my car will understand why that hasn't happened yet. Yes. More grim, slightly grumbly news uh, about car thieves. Yeah, well, this is still rumbling on, basically, that keyless entry cars, the narrative is they are less secure than you would, one, expect, B, hope, and uh, three, want to happen on your brand new car. Now, uh, before I get into this article, one of the things that has made me laugh about the pictures used from the What Car investigation is depending on what site you're on, the people who are doing the breaking in, their faces are pixelated, Mm -hmm. or they're not. They are in hoodies. Well, of course they're in hoodies, they're thieves. You know, let's let's yeah. stick with the narrative, but it's the way that in <laughs> it's like the BBC had them pixelated. Yeah, if you click through and went to what car, they weren't. <laughs> well, that's it. Autocar, autocar, which will be linked in the show notes. Uh, the chap isn't. No, he's just a bloke in a grey hoodie, yeah. poking at a handle. <laughs> Which is curious, because I thought most of them didn't actually need you to touch them. No, I think this is just one for the demonstration of almost, what do you call it, the uh, stock photo type stuff. You know, I'm surprised mm. he doesn't have the hoodie up and a bag over the shoulder with swag yes. on it or something. But it, it, there are some cars that it takes them in the region of 10 seconds to get in and drive off with. And there are others that take a smidgen longer. <laughs> And not many really came out of this well until you start getting to cars that have uh, the system fitted where they disable the key the key fob if it's still if the if the, it's stationary mm-hmm. then it's deactivated so it's a motion detector in oh, it. Oh, okay. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that's what they do. But we go back to uh, our advice. Um, and, and no, uh, the essential point of this this investigation, and I'm going to quote editor Steve Huntingford because he has not minced his words when it comes to this. He said, it's outrageous that some car makers have introduced keyless entry and start systems without making them anywhere near as secure as the traditional alternatives they replaced. I need to make that clear. It is not for all vehicles, but it is for many. You can click through and see which cars didn't do well uh, and which cars did okay from it. But just spend the – it's ridiculous that we have to suggest you spend more money after you buy your brand-new car or you are paying monthly for your brand-new car. But get on Amazon, get one of those special pouches, 
or put it in a biscuit tin, as I think Alex Grant we should... demonstrated. Because you you were talking about it the other week, weren't you? That you tried it in a yeah, in a tin, yeah, and you could get right up to your car without it working. Um, well, Alex Grant did something similar with a massive tin with biscuits written on it, and took a photograph of this week as well. I think his was the tin because mine was just I happened to have it in the. I needed to get into the car, and I just grabbed my little my little tin foil pouch. It's not really a tin foil pouch. It's black with the the stuff inside it. Um, and it, uh, and I had it in my hand, and it just wouldn't wouldn't unlock. Yeah, because it was. But you have to close the flap, guys. Okay, yes. it yep. has to be a proper Faraday cage, so you yes. have to actually close the flap. You on the top. Otherwise, there is still out. space that the <laughs> the magic beam can get out. I believe that mine. Curiously, I believe that mine actually does have the the motion detection in it. All right. Okay. Uh, which is a relief, but I yeah. think you mm. think you have to either go into settings or ask the uh, the dealer to to activate that. Possibly, my card doesn't really have many settings, so I think it's active as standard. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the first portion done. Yes, that brings us to guilt minister, of course. A point in the show when we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very much. Of course, we understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, then you really are wonderful, but how's about costing a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? If for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how about doing so for free using a free podcasting application, uh, which makes sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on the next awesome installment. If you're not sure how to get hold of a podcast player, then do please ask us by any of the means that we'll tell you at the end of the show. Was that a guilt 45 seconds? I think it might be. That's one of the quickest you, I've you ever done it. flew through that one. You flew and through that one. didn't even have time to refill his pint. No. Uh, I'll take this next one, even though I had marked it for you, because I realised <laughs> I got this wrong. But it's just a, it's just a quick yes. bit of motorsport. And we haven't covered the W Series uh, Championship this year, which is the female-only uh, single-seater racing championship. Uh, it just because it just didn't – it wasn't something we were going to do. But although we did follow it with interest – uh, and congratulations to Jamie Chadwick, who won the, uh, who is the first champion. And mm-hmm. this, this is great because much of the misgivings about creating a female only race series, I think has evaporated a bit over the course of it, of people actually seeing it in action and seeing the promotion of it and seeing how close the racing was and how good the racing was for the most part. Hmm. Uh, but there's things like uh, last night when we record this show, Jamie was on uh, the one show and they had a car there. They had her with a championship and everything like that. And that's just brilliant that it's it's on mainstream TV. But what amazes me about this is that people might think that the racing wouldn't be as good. Because after all, all this is, is people in cars racing each other. So I don't really see why that's any different, to be perfectly honest. Well, because people are idiots. Um, but- well, yeah, sorry, it's the only conclusion I've come to as well. Um, After, but, uh, you know, I've, yeah. I've given this a lot yeah, of thought. Spot <laughs> and, um, yes. Yeah, so there's a link in the show notes on the motion, for the motion research article about this, uh, and it, they're going to add another race, a European race, next season um, to the to the series. So it's it's expanding already, so that's good news. Awesome. Brilliant. That is good stuff. We 
didn't do a lunchtime read this week, partly because we had the other article about the about the Communist Manifesto, but also because what we're going to propose this this week is a lunchtime watch or a pair of lunchtime watches through what I'm sure is some fantastic PR coordination. Allegedly. There are two great videos out, allegedly. I said what I'm sure is. I was being nice. Can we borrow a car, please? The... <laughs> Uh, is that um, there are two videos out about Porsche, uh, which nicely top and tail, I think, the whole Porsche story. Yeah. Uh, and the first is Chris Harris uh, driving the Porsche Type 64, which is the very first Porsche. There's some debate as to whether or not it counts as part of the... It gets a bit like comic books, doesn't it? Is it part of the... Uh, you know, is, is it actually part of the correct... Uh, the correct Porsche gene. I forgot what the word is. What's the word that comic book nerds do? Is it part of the correct, not Porsche universe? There is another one. Um, Yes. Thank you. Is it part of the correct Porsche Canon? Because it comes before being made in Austria or whatever. Well, we'll let the people with all their pens in the top, top pocket, argue it out and in a car park somewhere. And we'll just go along with, yes, this is fine. (laughs) Yes. It's true. So do watch that about where the con- the company has come from. And the other one is Johnny Smith for uh, Fully Charged, driving the Taycan. It's the first sort of non-Porsche person, other than, as he puts it, Mark Webber, who possibly doesn't count as a normal person. And he's trying out... One of the things that Porsche are trying to make clear is that it's uh, the idea is that it is a consistent performance electric vehicle and that it can do full throttle again and again and again i believe when he was filming this there's something like 40 odd full throttle full bore starts so so we're saying that it doesn't do it two or three times and then runs home to mama and has to have a lie down yes so what's really interesting about the pair of them of course is one is very much history the next one is the future uh, and neither of them mentions the 911 <laughs> really <laughs> uh which is which is almost unheard of in any discussion of porsche but do it's worth setting aside half an hour 45 minutes if you can to watch both of those are uh, on the youtubes uh, and of course the links will be in the show notes as usual if you can't just you know find them the johnny smith one was number 10 on the whole of youtube at one point over the weekend oh that's excellent they were at almost three quarters of a million uh, views in two days All right, that's, so that's, i mean that's, that's fantastic impressive. well i what i want to know is how much did porsche have to pay uh playmobil to get their uh to get the taycan to appear in the playmobil movie as the spy's car oh you said about this yeah so it's so it's you, in you the playmobil animated bit and then afterwards there's a live action moment and it drives past the the main characters mm-hmm one of which stares and looks a bit suspicious at it. That's quite cool. Yeah, yeah. But there's been quite a, there's been a, a link up between Porsche and Playmobil for quite a while mm. though, hasn't there? Because you can go, you can buy Playmobil Porsche 911s, yeah. which I think is really cool. And I, I kept looking at them and then never, then whenever I thought, Oh, I'll actually buy one. Then I, I, I couldn't. Well, now you have a certain family member of a certain age I think you will be able to justify that. He's a he's a little young just, just now. He hasn't had side. his first. I'm I'm saving up his first toy car for Christmas. Okay. I think I can wait that long. He's only six months, but I, I want to get him his first toy car at Christmas. Okay. 
like a, I doubt his dad's like going to do a that. Good. Be my, my first biology set from his dad. <laughs> <laughs> right, list of the week. Yep. And this is, comes from the motion research, but there's a lot of motion research this week with, where there was none last week. So I feel like we are almost evening out. We're just balancing that up, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> this is from Ethan Chupp. Uh, and he's created a list of the big selling American cars that flopped in Europe. And there's some that you would expect, things like the Mustang, the Corvette. What it transpires through reading the article is Ethan has gone against numbers, not success as in grabbing people's attention and stuff like that. Uh, so- somebody needs to, to to have a little word with the picture editor about the Nissan Pathfinder because the ver- cause the model that's shown there was never sold in the UK. Uh, it was the version before that that was sold in the UK. It's a Navara type estate thing. Yeah, I'll let you take that one up. Sorry. So there's 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 a few in there that you would expect, like the the Hummer H3 that, funnily enough, didn't sell very much over in Europe, let alone Britain. Uh, and then there's mm-hmm. the Infiniti QX50. Well, it's never been sold here. No. Sorry, but well, the, there's oh, an. Uh, but it's, it's talking uh, about Europe Q- though in total. So, but the interesting one for me is the Toyota yes. Camry, and this is where it definitely is down to numbers sold, because in America. In 2007, according to this article, there was 480,000 sales of the Camry, where I think he makes it clear that, yeah, he says it here, said more than 300,000 sales would be beyond the wild streams of those trying to sell the Camry in Europe. <laughs> so, but it, it'd be, and it does, it, it is pointed out in here, it'll be interesting to see how how well it does now it's back again. Agreed. Agreed. No, it's just a fun yeah. little list. Uh, of the but it, it seems to have had a good reception. Yes, quite. Well, actually, on that front, I've noticed, uh, I've seen a lot of um, uh, the the Corollas, and I yes. I have... Uh, uh, well, they're quite distinctive. Yeah, and I, I've, now I've seen more of them, I really like the front end of those. I think the design of that is really good, even with the mm. massive grill bit where it <laughs> it's got... I, I, I like yeah, the way works. that it's all blended in with the way the lights are and everything. It's really smart because I've seen a lot in the Burgundy, similar to the one we tried at the SMT mm. day. And I think that's a, that's a cracking color. That color's nice. The other one that's nice is the kind of greasy, gray, brownie color. I saw one in the south of France that was that color on the big alloys and in the high spec. And it looked the dogs in the early morning south of france light it looked wonderful it did it, it just looked like it looked like they always look in these um the kind of b-roll yeah, footage yeah, that the, the manufacturers the sun is out. just setting or rising it's the golden hour etc yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, it was it was actually golden hour and stuff and so it just looked it just looked very yeah, well actually good. and on that front that's just reminded me we were walking through a car park today and one of the crack windscreen horde turned around and went, I really like the look of that car. And it was a Corolla estate. So oh, cool. well done, well done designers, built. because you've got kids going, they like that. You don't get that very often. It's been a long time since that's happened about a Toyota Corolla, really, yes, hasn't let's, it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I, think, I think even the guys at Toyota would agree with us on that. Yes. Yeah. Come on. And finally, yes. And finally, well, we were grumbling about the lack of new Nissans. Uh, was it just last week? Yep. 
I think it was, yeah. When it, and I was grumbling about the age of them and how nobody's seen anything, and grumbly, grumbly, grumble. We were we were giving them some advice of which they could happily pay us for more. <laughs> yeah, and then flicking through Instagram the other day, and uh, Dave from uh, Auto Bears spotted one around around Milton Keynes, so no doubt coming out from uh, NTCE uh, at uh, Cranfield. Yeah, the all-new Nissan Duke in very, very heavy camo. Uh, so it has been spotted. It's going to come at some point. They are around. Uh, they might be a little while off yet. but uh, Which looks just like a Duke with the new Nissan nose slapped on, rather than the crazy lights that it's got at the minute. Yes, it looks like that sort of slight Duke slash Pulsar type look. Mm. But let's see if it gets un- unveiled at Frankfurt. Let's see what's mentioned there, because it looks like you could sort of pull the sticky off and um and possibly yeah it's got, the, it's got imagine proper it's on the wing mirrors and it look it looks virtually done doesn't it in that in this picture that there will be a link in the show it notes does. this is one that you you should click through you should click through all of them everybody but this is one that you would really do need yeah. to click through and have a look yeah and do have a follow of 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 uh the auto bear official instagram it, it's generally quite quite interesting you can find them on uh youtube as well so if you're into if you're into cars and furry gentlemen then that is the place to go that's your internet stop mm-hmm. there and dave's dave's lovely dave's really nice um parish notes andrew you've added one in Yes. And you've listened to it, and I haven't had a chance yet. I have. I've listened to both of the episodes that are out so far. But there is a new podcast out there called The Automotive Podcast, and it is by Chris Ratcliffe and Martin Spain. Chris Ratcliffe, if people remember, has been on Rearview many moons ago. Um, and this show that they've done is about cars and motorsports in films and TV. So that sounds perfect for most of the nerds that listen to us. You want to hear about them mm-hmm. discuss, in the first episode, I think it was, they discussed the Senna movie. Uh, they also talk about uh, the TV that's coming up and their thoughts on it, and then they discuss it after. So this is it, it's, it's just some proper enthusiasts who just chatting with each other about what they liked, what they didn't like, what jarred with them, what really went well, that sort of thing. And I think... Many, many of our listeners will love this. So go out and give them a try. The, um, I'll, I'll actually throw a link in the show notes as well for their Twitter and to their website. So you can go and have a listen. But it's well worth it. Awesome. I haven't got around to listening yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yep. We'll actually get around, get to the finger out. And I think that's it for this week, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. So everyone, don't forget, between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our Patreon offer, um, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Uh, Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me at the moment is via Twitter, which is the usual way. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you and berate you for not listening to Friends of the Show's new podcast? Uh, Well, Twitter is the best place to generally be abusive to me, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week, hopefully in glorious Technicolor for our patrons. We're sorry about that this week, but it just wasn't. Even before we'd started recording, we couldn't hear each other. Uh, But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.